This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hello, everybody. This is Marshall Poe. I'm the editor of the New Books Network. NBN listeners like to read books and buy them. So we thought we'd tell you that Right now, our friends at Princeton University Press are having a remarkable site-wide sale. You can get 50% off books, including ebooks and audiobooks, with the code 50, F-I-F-T-Y, at checkout until May 31. You can save some real money on Princeton University Press books. I encourage you to go there and check it out. Welcome to the New Books Network. Okay, I'm here with Archie Davies. He's the translator of For a New Geography by Milton Santos. It's out on University of Minnesota Press. Thanks for joining me, Archie. Thanks very much for having me. All right, well, let's just jump straight into it. Uh, it's quite a fun book to read. I uh, always like to get a translator's introduction uh, to kind of tell me what to know. Uh, but when we get to that, could you just give me a little bit of kind of your intellectual biography that brought you to this point? Yes, absolutely. It's um, my arrival at translating Milton Santos is a is a slightly strange story, but I'll I'll give you it for for uh, to sort of make sense of why I think this book is so important. I was uh, I used to work in kind of environmental policy, uh, and I just realized that kind of my sense of the politics of nature involved in those in environmental policy making, certainly in the UK, in the period that I was doing it was lacking a huge amount. So I went back to, to school, as it were, starting doing a PhD, actually looking at the kind of spatial politics of migratory birds. That's, that's what I thought I wanted to study. Um, but quite quickly, I kind of got lost in trying to find the sort of social justice questions that I hoped I'd be able to get to, uh, looking at uh, migratory paths of swifts and swallows. And I think actually, in retrospect, I was missing something there. And there's plenty, <laughs> there's plenty to do. But while I was uh, kind of looking for a new research project, basically, I was reading a lot of work on the kind of history of geography, and became quite convinced by a set of arguments being made um, by a number of different scholars around the need for a kind of uh, revision of the history of geography, particularly a, a kind of reckoning with geography's colonial histories. Um, and while I was doing that, I was looking around, as I said, for a kind of new project. Uh, and I was interested in particular in Latin America. And as a Portuguese and Spanish speaker, I was thinking, well, I want to take this research uh, to Latin America. And I was interested, having moved from Swift, I was kind of trying to work out uh, where the politics in urban nature was. And that led me uh, to uh, look, it was, it was like 2015, to look at the sort of social movements, the uprisings in 2013, 2012, 13 in Brazil. And there was, I was interested in where urban nature came into these kind of social movements. And I was uh, reading around a, a particular social movement in Recife in the northeast of Brazil. Uh, which uh, had coalesced around a kind of occupation and a claim to uh, the, uh, an area of docks in Recife, which interested me for a whole bunch of reasons, because it sort of brought together a set of concerns around infrastructure, colonial history, uh, port locations. But what was interesting about this occupation of a place called Caixa Estelita was that I kept on seeing images and hearing references to kind of uh, urban nature, and particularly this image of uh, of crabs kept on coming up. This was kind of an image that like the social movement was coalescing around. And as I was reading around that question, that just I kept on coming back to that, like, why crabs? Why is 
is urban nature becoming so contested in this place? And that led me quite quickly to the kind of intellectual history of the northeast of Brazil. And the reason that crabs in Recife were so political uh, has a kind of two-stage intellectual history. The first was that this social movement was drawing on uh, the kind of cultural symbolism of a musical movement from the early 1990s in the northeast of Recife, uh, in, uh, the northeast Brazil, uh, called Maggie Beat, Mangrove Beat, basically. Um, I started listening to a lot of Maggie Beat. Maggie Beat's great. It's an amazing kind of amalgam, a kind of mashup of, of folkloric northeastern music, black music from the northeast Brazil, uh, maracatu, and kind of hip-hop. But within Mangi Beach, you have this, this uh, figure who keeps on coming back, the omen caranguejo, the man crab, or the caranguejo con cerebro, the crab with brains. And this becomes a kind of figure of a resistive urbanite from the northeast of Brazil demanding kind of urban social justice through hip-hop, and well, not hip-hop, through Mangi Beach. They got that idea, I found out, from a guy called Josué de Castro. Uh, and Josué de Castro is a... Uh, a geographer and nutritionist who died in 1973. He was from Recife and he had this amazing, an amazing life and wrote uh, a fascinating series of works about the geography of hunger in particular. And so from kind of urban social movements, the politics of urban nature, I quickly, I got in the end to basically the intellectual history of Brazilian geography. And Josué de Castro, who uh, I wrote my PhD on, having kind of gone through this process, was a vital uh, precursor of Milton Santos. So if you look at kind of the role of Josué de Castro in, in creating a new critique of the geography of hunger and a new vision of, of uh, a kind of anti-colonial geography, um, which uh, he wrote from, from the 30s right through to when he died in 1973, um, I realized that, there, that inside this history of Brazilian geography, which Brazilians have been writing about for a long time, there was a huge amount for Anglophone geography to kind of get to grips with. Um, and I wrote a book about Josué de Castro, but having written a book about Josué de Castro, I, the, the, the obvious next step was to address this huge uh, lacuna in Anglophone critical geography, uh, which was basically a problem in some senses, simply of translation, that these works had been overlooked and not translated. And that took me to Milton Santos. And for me, the, the kind of centerpiece of the beginning of Santos's career is for a new geography. And so given there was no translation, uh, I talked to Minnesota Press and I said, look, this needs to be in English. And that is how I got there. And so I'm delighted that it's finally kind of out. Hi. All right. Well, then I guess that leads me to one of my questions that uh, this this kind of history of the discipline of geography, but then also the history of Brazilian geography in particular, and you just said kind of bringing it to the Anglophone geography discipline. Um, to me, in, in your in your translator's uh, introduction, and then in kind of reading it, the way you set it up, I, was, I found it completely fascinating. Somebody who is outside of geography, uh, somebody who comes from film studies. Now, I personally find the kind of state of the field descriptions in my own fields tedious, but I found the state of geography fascinating. Now, is that simply a product of finding it interesting because it's new? Or is this really, um, I felt like I've, I've done a little reading around in geography, or is it really that there is something kind of, kind of uh, necessary and really kind of ener energizing in bringing uh, Brazilian geography into the Anglophone sphere? Well, I'm easily convinced that the history of geography is particularly interesting um, because, you know, I spend a lot of time thinking about it. Um, I think uh, it depends on how you tell that history, I guess. Um, and one of the reasons that I think this book, For a New Geography, uh, is so good is that is that Santos manages to, to build a kind of very contemporary intellectual critique of, you know, total space in our time, as he, as he puts it, um, out of an analysis of the history of geography itself. And so not a lot of geographers spend their time looking at Vidal de la Blache and uh, the influence of Durkheim and, and all these kind of um, uh, intellectual histories that Santos spends a huge amount of time on in the first half of this book in particular. Uh, 
because it's somehow like oh well that was useless like it, it was bad so there's so we just like move on from it uh, and we start again basically from um you know as the cliche in geography goes from like david harvey reading marx uh, when he gets to baltimore you know that's kind of like basically the origin story but santos isn't happy with with that and he's writing at the same time but what he wants to do is is to go back to these this history of thinking about space to 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 radically critique it i mean his critique of it is is unsparing but instead of just abandoning everything he kind of drags these concepts out of that history he kind of forces them into new into new contexts, into to do new work. So rather than just abandon, say, regional geography, say, or for example, um, techniques or the notion of the the genre de vie for which in many geographers are just kind of abandon and forget and say, well, it didn't work. Santos wants to um, to to sort of pull those into a new framework, a new geography, a new Marxist-inspired anti-colonial geography and I think that intellectual maneuver is one which is extremely powerful um, uh, in geography so what so in his hands I think the history of geography is particularly is particularly powerful I think there's a second part of of um, uh, to answer your question which is and this again draws from what what Santos writes is that geography was and other disciplines can have the same claim, of course. But geography was so close to projects of imperialism, projects of colonial expansion, uh, and the expansion of capital, that to understand the history of geography is a way of understanding the history of colonial expansion and imperialism, because the very sort of notions of space and nature and the globe and time and resources, which colonialism and imperialism drew on are embedded within that history of geography itself. Um, so I think that uh, uh, Neil Smith, another kind of Marxist geographer, wrote once that um, he thought that the history of geography should be the most exciting part of the discipline of geography. And not that many people um, uh, within geography as a whole spend a huge amount of time thinking about the history of geography, but I I think it is. And I think that there's there's wonderful work on the history of geography uh, 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 going on um in loads of different places, which really does grapple with exactly with exactly that problematic. That if we can understand uh, the history of spatial thinking and the history of thinking about nature, we can understand the histories of imperialism and capitalism afresh as well. Okay, that leads me has me a bunch of the questions I had down. The one you said we have Portuguese and Spanish. Um, so, how important actually is just the ability to read across languages to kind of pushing the history of geography as uh, kind of more to the fore of the discipline um, versus the kind of, oh, we started Harvey reading Marx in Baltimore versus, well, there are other other people writing about it in other places, which tend, you know, there are a number of places which are not English speaking that we can you know, kind of expand our knowledge of the history of geography to do it better. Is that kind of the, the undercurrent is... Um, kind of monolingualism uh, hurts. <laughs> yes, um, <laughs> I think so. Uh, and I think not it, to sort of extend that monolingualism hurts whichever branch of geography you're doing. But if, in particular, you're interested in in uh, an anti-colonial critique, an anti-capitalist critique of uh, geography and by geography, I suppose I mean you know notions of space and nature which have enabled us to get to where we are today in terms of uh, you know extraction of global capitalism. If you are interested in developing some other version of uh, you know human relationship with space and nature, then yes, monolingualism is particularly dangerous for you because there's there's simply well, two things. Um, one, there's just simply so much work which is which is both currently and historically out there in other languages, which is uh, offering, which offer new epistemological um, paths to follow. But secondly, I think if we don't think about language translation uh, mon- and monolingualism, it's very difficult to understand how the ideas that we do have from other languages 
were developed and how they got there. So to take the case of Santos, for example, if we if we just think that in reading, that in translating Santos into English, we've kind of solved the problem, then we're missing a lot of the point because a huge amount of Santos's intellectual construction comes from his reading across multiple languages. And, we, and in understanding the way in which Santos uses the French tradition, for example, uh, and Francophone geography, um, we can get to some of the theoretical advances that he's making. So how Santos himself translates and reads Sartre and Lefebvre is vital to how he develops his notion of the production of space. And I think that one of the the kind of phenomena that uh, spreads in as a consequence of Anglophone dominance of global knowledge production is is a kind of um, cauterizing of intellectual histories at the point of translation, if you know what I mean. So it's like we get Lefebvre, the production of space, then it's like, bam, we don't need to kind of unravel again. Like, where does that come from? What intellectual tradition does that come from? How do we contextualize that within a set of debates which are taking place in French or in German, for example, uh, in the case of, of Lefebvre? Then um, we, we kind of only get half the story. And the same is true of the you know the the really brilliant and amazing work going on in say Gramscian geographies that Gramscian geographies in English are, are incredibly vibrant but a small proportion of Gramsci has been translated into English so what how do we kind of reckon with um using these these kind of uh, very partial intellectual histories in English when there's so much more going on once we start to um uh, uh see the kind of linguistic context which they're coming from which is not to say of course that everybody has to be able to speak all the languages but I think a sensitivity to the ways in which um, uh, language traditions uh, overlap and and where the kind of uh, invisibilities are across language traditions is is crucial if we're to contextualize our own intellectual histories in the anglophone context. Let me, let me throw one other language, and uh, Santos goes on a bit about it, uh, extended kind of engagement with it, and the language is kind of numbers uh, and kind of the, the quants end of things. And he talks about how it's kind of a desirable but not sufficient condition and the mistake of treating quant method as a theory. Um, and that it's, you know, obviously it seems to me that quants would be very tied up in um, the colonial project. Um so how much, uh, what's the, what is, what's the gain? What's the loss in kind of, uh, a heavily, maybe not heavily, but, uh, an engagement or a use of quantitative, quantitative methods in geography. I think Santos's critique of quantitative geography in this book has to be historicized in a particular way, which is that he writes the book in part, uh, in response to, the quantitative revolution in geography in which there's a an extremely imperialist set of claims are made about uh, new statistical methods and their potential for uh, reimagining what geography can do so he his his strident critique of that form of quantitative work is a historically specific one uh, the nature of quantitative geography as it was taking place in Northern Europe and North America in the 60s and 70s. So I think that's an important kind of um, uh, thing to note about the way he writes about quantitative methods, not least because elsewhere in the book and elsewhere in his project, he is um, a, a kind of radically a, discipline, uh, a disciple of interdisciplinarity. So in no sense is Santos saying, we shouldn't use numbers, <laughs> you know, numbers as language, uh, like we're not interested in that. Absolutely not. I don't think that's at all what he's saying. His critique is of the particular forms in which quantitative methods have, have taken control of uh, a conception of geography as a, as a discipline and as a way of understanding the world. So to take that, to take it forward, I suppose, what I think um, in contemporary geography, 
there's a huge amount of quantitative work which um, which is done, which is extremely fruitful. I think probably it is true to say that the exchanges between and across quantitative methods and qualitative methods in geography still suffers from the kind of mutual incomprehensions that Santos also gestures at about uh, the challenges of interdisciplinarity. Um, so I'd say if we're going to kind of pick something up from this book about uh, quantitative geography, it's that the, the critique needs to go both ways, that there is a critique to be made of quantitative methods which think they are a theory and quantitative methods which think that by being able to um, you know, define through numbers, you can kind of do away with a need to account for the social production of space and equally a critique of um, of other methods that think the same thing. You know, that his, his uh, conception of an interdisciplinary method for geography is broad. Um, and so that there is a role for quantitative methods in that, be they natural sciences or quantitative geography is, is absolutely clear. Now, when I was reading your, your book, I was also reading um, Graeber and Wengrow's The Dawn of Everything. Uh, and I felt like they had some, some overlaps one is kind of the idea of like a, a necessary progression that they, they don't really have much use for. And you've kind of talked about that in the history of, um, of geography, kind of starting anew with, with Harvey. Um, and you've talked about kind of the importance of local conditions, which that's something that uh, Wendell and Graeber are quite interested in, of um, things happening at different times in different places. And this is where um, Santos gets interested in kind of space-time and the spatial present. And I'm wondering if you could um, explain to me, I think I know, but I, I want to consult an expert. When he says spatial present, what what exactly does that entail? Um, when, we were, when I was preparing for this, I was like, the one thing I really hope he doesn't do is ask me to define what Santos means by his various concepts in a pithy, uh, the pithy form. Um, so I think, I think uh, I'll say two things. Firstly, about the spatial present. I think what I understand Santos to mean in particular about the spatial present is related to his concept of roughness, which uh, for me is one of the most interesting things that Santos offers in this book. Uh, in Portuguese, it's rugosidade. And Roughness is Santos's way of talking about how historical time is sedimented in contemporary space, that, that space is layered with historical um, uh, modes of production in particular. And he talks about space as a, as a witness of the past of modes of production. So this kind of idea that, that in, um, in the present, the... The, re- the way that space can be transformed is, is always in interaction with the, the overlayering of histories of, of modes of production and specifically histories of the division of labor. And so this kind of relationship between mode of production, division of labor and present space is a, is a temporal one for Santos. So they, they're kind of layered up. And roughness is, is, the, is one of the concepts by which he kind of uh, starts to unpick that. So we might think about, for example, the roughnesses of uh, an infrastructural space in an urban context, right? That you can only uh, transform infrastructural networks uh, in relation to the histories of infrastructural networks. And those infrastructural networks are always interconnected with histories of the international division of labor. And that kind of overlaying of uh, spatial times that lead us to a spatial time in the present is... um, is crucial to Santos's conception of uh, of both time and space, and he, in, and this is one area where I think that the Anglophone geography, a um, one particular reference point that I think Anglophone geography has has not spent as much time as Santos um, does, is he he draws on Sartre in thinking about that and the concept of the practico inert, and he he wants to address how space is space is a kind of dynamic inertia that there are there are um, fixities, particular fixities that get embedded in space that then interact in a particular way with the structure of society in the present. So there's this, there's these particular qualities of, of materiality which get stuck and then have to 
relate to new social structures uh, and then transform those new structures, social structures as they emerge. So I think that's what he means by the spatial present. Um, but I would encourage people to go back to Santos and, and make their own sense of it. Um, about Graeber and Wengro, I, I didn't, I, I had not read it until you said you were reading it at the same time. And I kind of, um, uh, I hadn't yet read it, I should say. Uh, and so I just kind of opened the the first, the introduction. And, and I think that there is certainly something interesting about the kind of, um, the, the synergies or, or syncopations between the two. Um, as I said, I've only read the introduction. Um, and I think one of the things in particular is, is Santos's insistence on uh, techniques as a mode of understanding the transformation of the production of space across time. And that is that he doesn't, in, he doesn't allow any kind of uh, stable progression, but rather his, wants to historicize human relationships with production of space, uh, constantly rehistoricizing them in their own moment. And that, that in particular, he does through this notion of through this notion of techniques, which is for him a kind of um, uh, it's a it's a historical understanding not just of technology but of the means of doing. You know how do how do different societies in a particular moment come up with new means of production of space? And he uses uh, techniques as a as a methodology, really a kind of historical a place to focus attention, to understand how particular societies are producing space at particular moments. And techniques becomes a means by which to understand that. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Do you have a point of sale system you can trust or is it <clears throat> a real POS? You need Shopify for retail. From accepting payments to managing inventory, Shopify POS has everything you need to sell in person. Go to shopify.com slash system, all lowercase, to take your retail business to the next level today. That's shopify.com slash system. All right. So, so one of the things, I had some th- things I uh, pulled out of Santos and about two-thirds of the way through the book, I guess. There's um, the question I kind of asked of the study of human societies and the process of permanently reconstructing space inherited from previous generations, what you're just talking about, across the, the many instances of production. Like, has this kind of come true as the story of how people do geography? Um, uh, has it, has it, what we could say, is it on the upswing? Is it, um, is it kind of pushed to the corner? Um, because as you just described it, and that kind of comes out of uh, Santos where I pulled the note out, what kind of position does that occupy in the discipline? It's a it's a really good question, and I think um, is one of the at, at sort of one further level of abstraction is is something that I've been thinking about a lot. Translating Santos because you know you are kind of confronted as a geographer as a as a uh, you know somebody doing research now with. Um, what it means to go back and translate an old text from 1978. You know, why do that now? Um, and it takes a long time. So you have to kind of come up with a good reason. And I suppose I'm therefore, uh, I, I've been asking, like, to what extent have we just moved past this? To what extent uh, has this been achieved? And I think that that it's um, it's an encouraging thought, I think, that I do find a lot of the things that Santos insists geography must do, geography has done since then. Uh, but not everything, and absolutely not in exactly the with the with all the potentials that he might open up. So just as one example to pick up on what I was saying on Sat, you know, I don't think that a lot of geographical theory and that thinking about the production space has really gone back and looked at how a reading of Sartre might change that because there's been a lot of reliance on Lefebvre. What happens if we do something differently with Sartre? And I hope reading, you know, in this kind of series of translations and intellectual histories that by translating Santos now, we might kind of get people to go back to Sartre is one, was one thing that I think could be interesting. Um, but I think that, uh, yes, a lot of, uh, some of those things that Santos wants us to do uh, have been done. What I think... Um, 
remains uh, perhaps under-recognized is, or underachieved is, is Santos always insists on, yes, historicizing these particular moments of roughness, for example, particular histories of technology and techniques in, 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 in particular societies, constantly historicizing and periodizing the production of space. Uh, in any particular moment. But what he also insists on then is the question of totality. He always wants to then turn again to uh, a, some kind of total uh, understanding of space, um, total space in our time. And I think that that contemporary critical geography does a lot of the kind of really critical analysis of the production of space in various different ways but maybe is is more cautious about that kind of totalizing maneuver that he insists on, that we need to go back to the totality to understand the specific and that dialectical relationship. Um, and just as, as, as one example, I've been trying to, I've been thinking about infrastructure quite a lot recently. And, and I think the infrastructural turn in geography and associated disciplines, you know, science, technology studies, the humanities in various ways, I think is an incredibly powerful and, uh, vibrant field. You know, people thinking about infrastructure in, in really, really exciting new ways. And Santos thinks about infrastructure uh, a lot, but he always then ties it back to a, a totalizing theory, theorization of the production of space. And I think that what the, that contemporary turn to analyze infrastructure maybe is more hesitant than it could be to 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 turn totalizing, if you know what I mean. And I think that, that Santos is kind of pre-postmodernist or anti-postmodernist approach to, approach to totalizing um, could, could can still speak really powerfully to those kinds of moments where, yes, geography is doing the kind of work that he imagines it needs to do, but maybe without that final sort of turn towards the totality. And perhaps that's to do with the kind of politics of knowledge claims that that now emerges. But I find Santos very kind of empowering or liberating about that, the need for that move to totality, which he constantly comes back to. All right. Um, now, I'm thinking now, I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, he was in Mozambique and he was also working with Walter Rodney. When, were they there at the same time? Am I remembering that correctly out of the book? Um, so Tanzania, so he's in Dar es Salaam, not right. Mozambique. Um, but he, but actually, you know, they're very interrelated politically at that time. A lot of the, a lot of uh, the liberation movement. So he's in Mozambique, he's in Dar es Salaam between 74 and 76. Um, so the kind of uh, relationship with the end of Lucifer empire in Africa uh, in 74, 75 uh, meant that you know, people were, uh, liberation leaders were moving through Dar es Salaam at that time. It was an important site for uh, Mozambique uh, uh, liberation struggles. He he doesn't, I can't, I, there's no um, uh, wonderful set of letters between him and Ro- Walter Rodney reflecting on their mutual theories of, uh, <laughs> of underdevelopment. Would that yeah, there were. Because I know that Rodney has a section in how Europe underdeveloped Africa about the, the kind of the way infrastructure kind of gives us a, a kind of a totalizing view of what 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 the imperial project is all about you know train lines go to the extractive locations maybe they want to move in some troops uh and then there's nothing there for the actual people who live there whose, whose home it is um and it's about at the same time now yeah absolutely and i think that that rodney i mean just to pick up on that is that uh Rodney also has a, a much less well-known book, which I think came out of, it, of a thesis, but called A History of the Guyanese Working People, which is totally about infrastructure and about kind of what we would now call political ecology and histories of building, um, uh, of drainage and uh, the production of space in, in Guyana. And um, I'm, I think it's a hugely important um, book um, for thinking about the history, the relationship between infrastructure, nature, and race in particular, and um, because he does this kind of very close analysis of um, 
essentially what the racial production of space in Guyana. Um, I don't know that he read Santos and I don't know that Santos read him. There's certainly, I think that the kind of interaction is, is, is particularly interesting in that moment because I think what it does show is, is this is a kind of global circulation of ideas in the seventies um, in the wake of and immediate context of anti-colonial movements which geography as a whole and, and thinking about space and nature um, could get a lot more out of, I think. And I think there is there is emerging work, for example, on, on Amilcar Cabral and his theory is work on space and soil and nature, because Cabral was a was a soil scientist, a kind of agronomist as well, and wrote a lot about soil um, and nature in the context of anti-colonial struggles. And I think that that's a really fruitful um, area of uh, kind of intellectual history to think about how does how does the history of anti-colonial writing and, de- and, and anti-colonial, the writing that emerged in the context of anti-colonial struggles specifically, uh, how can it kind of constitute a, a theory of the relationship between space and imperialism, I guess? Now, to kind of take the imperial center and then kind of look outwards, early in the book, there's a kind of a list of chairs of geography um, in, in France, and they're almost all not in Paris. Uh, they're kind of all kind of, you know, on, I guess we could say the periphery, uh, just outside the, the big city. Um, and then you kind of have, um, like you said, this kind of global circulation of ideas. Um, still, you know, it's in Dar es Salaam. Uh, you know, it's a major city, at least. But now we're kind of moving kind of distant from the center. Um, in, in Australia, we kind of classify things as capital city, regional or remote. Um, now, um and is geography kind of historically both kind of like in terms of its theory and also kind of in terms of its, its discipline, is it more institutionally at home outside of the main centers? Um, so for example, um, there's like the Chicago school of sociology, but I don't know there's, there's not a Chicago school of geography is there or New York, there's the LA school, but, um, you know, you're, you're not in London, for example. Um, and so we can see kind of these, uh, and even Lefebvre was outside of Paris in kind of a, you know, a less desirable location. Um, is that is that just kind of coincidental or is it something that uh, generates some kind of advantage uh, for geographical thinking? Uh, unfortunately, no, I don't think so. Um, so for example, about geography, about Chicago, there is actually the Burgess urban land use model and the kind of history of urban geography, which is the kind of one part of you know the the sort of history that, that Santos is critiquing, kind of positivist histories of geography, but extremely uh, influential was that was um, done in Chicago in the twenties and thirties. Um, Harold Halford Mackinder, for example, the kind of uh, Dwayne of imperial geography in the Anglophone context was at Oxford almost his whole life. So I, I don't, I don't think so. I don't think also that 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 necessarily that um, it would be great to kind of be able to map that in that way. But you know, there's a history of of critical geography coming out of those centres as well. So the political ecology, one of the you know really important like locations for. Uh, political ecology would be uh, UC Berkeley, and 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 which to me is quite a central kind of location in in academic knowledge production. Um, I suppose what I would say is that that I think uh, that both things are usually happening in both places. You know, so so the the geography of these knowledge of these knowledge production circuits of knowledge production, I think, are probably more overlapping and intimate than um rather than center periphery if you see what i mean so there's a kind of there is critical work going on where there is imperialist work going on um that's not to say that um that there aren't well it's it is absolutely the case that there are particularly important places in the history of critical geographical knowledge uh which are often peripheral um, and Dar es Salaam in the 1970s would be one of them. But from my perspective, uh, I've, and this is a, a particular one, but the northeast of Brazil for me is a particularly fruitful uh, sort of space for intellectual history. I think that the intellectual history of northeast of Brazil 
is extremely rich and that is intimately connected to its place in histories of empire and histories of uh, global capitalism. Um, how that maps onto to the kind of place in which universities uh, are located is is contested. So, for example, Josué de Castro comes from Recife but ends up uh, working in Paris. But where he works in Paris is the University of Vincennes with you know Deleuze and Foucault and that whole kind of 1968 crew, which is both in Paris and resistive in relation to um, kind of uh, hegemonic forms of knowledge production. Um, so I'd say very, it's like, it's a really interesting set of questions, but maybe the, the, the mapping of that history is, is more complex. All right. So in follow up on my ignorance of the history of the discipline, in the, in the chapter, A New Interdisciplinarity, um, Santos has a, has a critique of national schools and national spheres of influence. Uh, and you were just talking about kind of those overlapping boundaries. Um, how, how strong are they um, across the discipline? Um, is it is it a really um, uh, sort of really firm kind of like anglophone geography? It looks like A, B, or C, uh, and if you don't do that, you're on the outside looking in. Um, or is your is your book kind of one of those things that is actually making uh, kind of pushing away those um, those kind of firm boundaries to kind of you know, spread a bit more? Do you mean in terms of kind of national schools? Yes. Um, so I think, um, again, it would be, it's important to historicize Sanchez's critique of national schools, which comes in particular in, in, in relation to his reading of French geography and the distinction between German geography and French geography is very important in the kind of first part of the, the uh, 20th century. And then British geography, which is also very distinctive. So I think there's a his, his historical critique of national schools um, is to some extent a phenomenon of the uh, middle of the 20th century. I would say that, that they persist in some ways. So, for example, one of the, the curiosities of um, Brazilian geography is that it is in some ways quite, uh, in some ways only, but in some ways quite internally focused. There is a, a kind of a very strong tradition of Brazilian geography, of which Santos is a crucial part. And in many ways, that remains quite internally focused, spending a lot of time thinking about Brazil as territory, as nation state, often deploying concepts drawn from Santos, but not necessarily being as internationalized um, as some other schools. On the other hand, in a way, the Brazilian case um, uh, gestures towards what I think is perhaps more important, which is to come back to the question of language. I think that that more than thinking in contemporary geographical knowledge production, and I'm very hesitant to make generalizations about that because it's so various and so enormous, but I would say that that thinking about language gives us a more accurate, perhaps, um, uh, set of boundaries which need to be contested than thinking about um national schools so i spend a lot uh, you know a lot of time talking to and thinking about latin american geographies and latin american geographies within themselves are are quite discursive you know between mexico and argentina and whatever um but i think that 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 relates more to language than it relates just to nation um on the other hand you know the uh, in a way, that's uh, only partial because then you have a francophone field which is very internally focused, and partly that just relates to France rather than francophone. So I would say um, there are multiple different uh, ways you could cut through that that history of the discipline, and it is in many ways the kind of internationalization of the discipline through English as a language is a dominant trend, but absolutely not the only trend in the last you know thirty. 40 years. All right. Well, to, to kind of I'll follow up on language, but in a, in a kind of sideways way, um, one of my favorite things is just to be dumb uh, and be very literal minded. Um, and in the spaces social order chapter, uh, I got to thinking about the use of the word space is really kind of promiscuous now. Um, in my office job, we had someone saying, well, that's really important to us in the HR space. Um, what is causing all of this? Um, 
why are why are kind of abstract concepts turned into spaces? Um, uh, for example, in business speak, what's the appeal? That's a good question. Um, I suppose that there is um, there's a hangover there, perhaps from the kind of uh, Newtonian concept of space that Santos picks up on a kind of space as container, right? It's like a kind of, it's a hollowness uh, and, and uh, something into which uh, it's a condition of possibilities, um, which Santos obviously critiques. The space isn't a condition of possibilities. It's much more complicated than that. But I think that that notion of, of space as container, space as blankness, space as condition of possibilities is perhaps what the HR space is. It's like, it's, it's a kind of vacuity, which um, business speaks so often relies on kind of vacuous cliche, which, which allows you to sort of project forward a contentless vision. Um, so the HR space is fundamentally contentless. It's, a, it's, it's devoid of contestation, um, which I think is is exactly the vision of space that Santos is contesting because it is an extremely convenient vision of space for imperialist projects, um, which HR projects often are. Um, so, yeah, I'm happy to speculate wildly that, that that's why. <laughs> um, then another thing, uh, and um, so business is one area that has a kind of a you know an imperial uh, project kind of everywhere. I'm wondering what do geographers feel about, for example, like the '90s uh, spatial turn in cultural studies? Um, and you know, I, I wrote a book called "The Imaginary Geography of Hollywood Cinema." Like, how how painful is it for geographers to to see the interdisciplinarity happening to them? Not at all painful, I don't think. <laughs> Um, I think that um, that it is that that geography is extremely well. So one thing to say is I definitely can't speak for geography or geographers because yeah, it's so it's such a various discipline, such a contested discipline. Um, but from speaking from the little my own perspective as a geographer, it is it is profoundly an interdisciplinary project and. Um, that to me is one of its enormous strengths, but that also um, that that strength is gained by the ability to read uh, work from other disciplines, just as geography, as thinking about space and nature. So, for example, just as one example, you mentioned the cultural turn. Said and Kristen Ross are for me two of the most important thinkers of of space in the last half decade and and i would go directly to them for analysis of what social space means for analysis of what imperial uh imperial space means and the imperial project as a spatial project would to me the the whole tradition of post-colonial literary studies comparative literature um is an extremely uh powerful um set of theorizations so on the contrary i think that what I love about geography is the way in which it is kind of radically open to uh, to other methodologies and other um, epistemologies. So much more can be geography than than people realise. And I think that as a geographer, I'm perfectly happy. I'm like, yeah, Kristen Ross is a geographer. Like that's she wouldn't describe herself as such, but um, her work on social spaces is uh, profoundly important for thinking about what that means. Um, so no, I'm, I'm all for it. Okay, good. All right, so uh, a couple of questions as we drive towards uh, the close. So you've already said, Saeed and Ross, get your thumbs up. Um, what have you been reading recently that you would say is um, exciting and worth picking up? Uh well, I mean, I suppose the first, the first thing I would say is just an absolutely shameless plug, um, which is my my next translation project, uh, which we've which we've nearly finished, um, which because basically I've been reading my own uh, our own translations, uh, which is um, 
I'm working with uh, Kristen, uh, Kristen Smith in the University of Texas um, and uh, Betania Gomish on a translation of uh, Beatrice Nascimento's work. Um, and Betania is Beatrice's daughter. And Beatrice Nascimento was a, a black feminist theorist, political activist, uh, poet, filmmaker uh, from the northeast of Brazil, though she lived in, in Rio for most of her life. Um, and her work on the history of Quilombo, uh, kind of communities of escaped enslaved people, uh, and on uh, racial democracy in Brazil and on blackness is extraordinary and rich and um, various and extremely um, kind of thought-provoking. So I've been spending a lot of time reading our translation of that, which is pretty much done. And so we'll hopefully, we've published a little bit of it but before in Antipode, but the Geography Journal, um, but hopefully we'll be out um, at some point uh, soon not too in the not too distant future so for me that that is really that is really really exciting um to turn away from my own <laughs> sort of form of kind of quasi self-promotion um i think that a lot of the work that's been done around in, in geography and associated disciplines around um property uh is extremely exciting so i'm kind of read a bit of brenna bandar's work and i'm about to sort of launch into um a book on property but histories of legal geographies and the relationship between property and whiteness and space, I find a really, really exciting area of, uh, of work um, coming out of, of the US, UK and, and various other places. Um, so those are my two quite distinct <laughs> recent reads. All right. And then the last one uh, before we say goodbye, you've already said you've got your, your uh, co-translation going. Um, you said you've been working on infrastructure. What kind of kind of, projects are coming that will will just have your name and it won't be a translation <laughs> um so at the moment well there's this there's my book on jesuit castle which will come out with liverpool university press january 2023 um but then uh you know that's one of the that's my a kind of old project i'm currently working on uh, a new project which takes a slightly different turn which is looking at uh, the history of meat extract um, this may not translate particularly to you as a as a, an Australian slash um, uh, North American, um, but Oxo cubes and Bovril have the these two kind of products of um, meat extract products, which have an absolutely fascinating history bound up with histories of imperialism and global capitalism, and of course with uh, climate, because they kind of formed a, a very important part in the beginning of the global meat industry. Uh, and I'm and I'm working on the ways in which the history of this these products is bound up with histories of imperial and post-imperial subjectivity and kind of notions of whiteness and white supremacy. How does meat and whiteness relate to one another? So that's my that's my current project. Excellent. Uh, well, it's also a, it's also legally I'm a New Zealander, so we have a quite a rela- quite a relationship with uh, the, the English and meat shipping, and uh, it's uh, absolutely good times. All right, yeah. so we'll put a pin in it here. Don't hang up because I want to keep talking to you. But for now, this is all anybody else gets to hear. So that's Archie Davies. He's the translator of For a New Geography from Milton Santos, and you can get it on University of Minnesota Press. Thanks for joining me, Archie. Thanks so much for having me.